0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. We revisit one of the most popular segments ever aired on our program, why feeding your soil yields better results than feeding your plants. Sound confusing? Well, it's actually quite simple. You know, you can learn a lot when you hang out with retired college horticultural professor Debbie Flower at a nursery. We recently spent a morning looking at all the snail and slug control products that are available. Which ones are the most effective? Which ones are, shall we say, rather dubious? We find out. Also, Warren Roberts of the UC Davis Arboretum talks about one of the brightest lights in the late winter garden, the daffodil. It's all on episode 83 of the Garden Basics podcast, brought to you by Smart Pots, and we do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go! Hi, everybody. Farmer Fred on the road at El Dorado Nursery and Garden in Shingle Springs. It's Plantapalooza. One of the speakers that is appearing here today works for Kellogg Garden Products, and she is a big advocate of doing things organically and also building up your soil. Giselle Schoniger, She's their, I guess, their organic teacher at Kellogg's.
1: That's right. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You're such a such a delight. You know, I think that my background, is, as I've shared with you in the past, actually is in the use of chemicals. I went to a production agricultural school, and about 16 years ago, I transitioned over to organics, and I've helped build three different brands of organic products. I tell you, all my soil and fertilizer classes made far more sense when I started working with working with nature instead of trying to control her. And, you know, I think that when we look at fertility of, of how we feed plants, most of us that are using chemical fertilizers to feed plants, we truly, that is what we're doing. We're feeding the plant, but at the expense of the soil.
0: What a lot of people don't realize is you should be feeding the soil, not the plant. If you feed the soil, you will be feeding the plant because that's how the plant gets its nutrients.
1: Absolutely. When we look at chemical fertilizers and, you know, now this is just part of the story. It's not just about NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. But when you see a 30-30-30 NPK or 20-20-20 or a triple 16, that material is a chemically formulated product. It's salt. It's a salt-based product. It forces that plant to grow and it creates a plant with a very thin cell wall, thin leaves, stems, and flowers. That plant is like an attractant to insects and diseases. But the damage is what we're doing below the soil. Those salts kill off beneficial life. And when you kill the good guys off, now you have a proliferation of disease-causing pathogens. Organics work in the opposite fashion. An all purpose fertilizer might only be a 444 four, four NPK, but it's about feeding the life in the soil, as you just said. So, when you build good life in the soil, the natural good guys will always eventually out compete the bad guys. And above ground, the plant has a thick cell wall, thick leaves, stems, and flowers. That plant now has more of a resiliency. It has a better immune system, if you will, from insect and disease attack.
0: What are the key words on synthetic? fertilizers that would indicate it contains salt
1: well you know actually most people wouldn't know that on a fertilizer you wouldn't really understand that that is really what the the component is when it goes down through the soil profile chemical fertilizers very much like let's say steer manure you know, 50 years ago, steer manure was a good product. But when you think about how confined the animals are, how regimented their diet is, it's, they're not grass-fed often. So it's high in salt. Those fertilizers are also high in salt. When you add a salt material to, uh, to a clay soil, let's say, you're only going to compact that soil further. So, but back to your question, really, anytime you see a material where the NPK is higher than, let's say, a triple 12, a and you see something like urea or ammonium, those are the kinds of things that should really alert you to the fact, if you can't really read what, it, what the words are, like on a lot of the food that we eat today, um, pretty much those are going to be materials that are artificially formulated.
0: Now, you mentioned steer manure and the amount of salts it has, and I imagine a lot of people are asking themselves now, well, wait a minute, steer manure, isn't that an organic fertilizer? Wouldn't that be good for the soil?
1: Well, steer manure, a lot of people use, it's, it. let me put it this way, it is better than not using anything. But it is truly high in salt, so it's a value product. I mean, of course, people use it and everybody's watching their page, you know, their their pocketbook, which we all have to do today. So if that's what someone chooses to use, but just know if you're adding it to a clay soil that's already compact and dense, you're truly making it the soil more compacted and more dense by adding that salt. So we have other types of manures. We have some chicken manure. Um, we have a product called the Gardener and Bloom line. Um, has a product called Harvest Supreme. It does have 15% chicken manure in it. It has mycorrhizae. It has earthworm castings, kelp. We add a whole host of organic nutrients within that material. So we have a whole breadth of product lines. We have worm castings. Worm castings are awesome to add into your, your, your either raised bed or in-ground plantings um, and are not going to be as high in salt.
0: And you don't need that much worm castings for it to be effective either.
1: I love worm castings. I tell you, if people would really start using worm castings or create, I have a worm bin, which I, I love. It's, it's like a science project the first few times you do it, but once you get the hang of it, you realize you're really not doing anything except feeding them. The worms are doing all the work. And you can have some fun with some of these materials, especially in raised beds. You know, this has become the new trend over the, over the years, is instead of dealing with our hard pan native soil, if we build a raised bed, now, I taught gardening as therapy. I was, worked as a horticultural therapist for 10 years in convalescent homes. At that time, you know, it was really for people in wheelchairs. But when we look now, why not raise the garden up to us? We're getting older, Fred. Yeah. You know, it's nice to have that raised bed. But the beauty is we get to layer in the kind of materials that we need. If you find that it's getting compressed down, fluff it up with some materials. Our soil building compost is great for adding, I look at it, that product as fiber just like we need fiber now this is a little bit of a stretch but just like we need fiber to keep us our system functioning properly the soil needs fiber as well to aerate it to open it up to help with drainage to allow the beneficial aerobic microorganisms in the soil to allow them to breathe because if it's too compacted that life in the soil can't breathe which means the roots can't breathe which means water can't percolate through the soil so raised beds are fantastic and you can have some fun by adding in different types of materials as you go through the season. You know, it's fascinating this whole f- movement that we're seeing. It's, it's almost like the back-to-the-earth movement finally arrived from the 60s and the 70s. And I think because we're so, tech, we're so involved with technology people are on the road more. Um, our lives have become so hectic that this idea of, of growing our own food and Slowing down a little bit um, has really become part of our culture today.
0: It boils down to if you feed the soil, you're feeding the plants.
1: That's right. It's a totally different approach. You know, we took a detour in the early 30s and 40s when we started using synthetics, really in the early 1940s, right around World War II when we started creating a lot of these synthetics. We were using minerals. You know, farmers were definitely, a farm was like a closed system all the organic matter got comp, all the manure got composted and put back into the earth but when we started focusing on production you know it's really sort of a misnomer that we created more food because what we really did is we destroyed the soil system we farmed the very life out of the soil and in over maybe a decade from the 1940s into the 50s we had to triple and quadruple the amount of chemical fertilizers we were using to try and get the yields that we were getting in the first few years so it's really truly a misnomer to say that we increased yields it's short that was a short-term temporary result and and you're right fred it's about feeding the life in the soil the organisms in the soil secrete enzymes that break organic matter down i mean if we didn't have all this biology in the soil the earth would be full of debris but they're cycling these nutrients back into the soil, and roots then pull from the soil what they need when they need it.
0: All it takes is mulch. All it takes is compost, maybe a cover crop or two, and you can have healthy soil as well. Well, Giselle Schoeniger from Kellogg Garden Products, thanks for spending a few minutes with us and uh, telling us about our soil.
1: Thank you, Farmer Fred. It's been a delight. Thanks to all of our customers and all of our listeners out there. Thank you so much for your support.
0: We're glad to have SmartPots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. SmartPots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again and Smart Pots clicks all those boxes. They're durable, they're reusable. Smart Pots are available at Independent Garden Centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com/fred. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com/fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase go to smartpots.com slash Fred. You know, what's fun to do is to hang out at a nursery or garden center with our favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower. Recently, we visited a local nursery and wandered over to the slug and snail control aisle. There's certainly a lot to choose from there. Let's talk a little bit about mechanical, cultural, physical controls for controlling these pests, which uh, are, are soon, you're going to find them in places you don't want to find them, and uh, probably where they are right now is uh, under some protection.
2: In the mulch and in the soil, I was planting a plant the other day into my landscape, and I found their eggs in, in my field soil. I use lots of mulch. They love that, they, and they like uh, wet places so they could be in the drain holes of the of a pot that you have outside they could be i have a bird bath and you know the birds take a bath and some water goes over the side they like to, they're probably right under that bird bath base um any place that in my raised bed they're probably between the wood and the soil they uh during the day they need to hide in in moist cool places and so they're tucked in these little corners so if you know where the moist places are
0: in your yard, and especially if you have uh, plants with a lot of green foliage year-round, like agapanthus, underneath piles of lumber, that's where you're going to find them.
2: Yes, and t- speaking of piles of lumber, that's one of the mechanical controls is to put out a piece of wood and let them collect under it. They'll, they'll come out at night. To do their feeding and then they'll collect under the wood because that's a nice protected spot in the morning and you go out and pick up that wood and there will be uh, slugs and, and snails attached to it or under it and that's a, a way to collect them and dispose of them you mentioned that you found their eggs what do their eggs look like their eggs are white and round and small uh, if you know what Time release pelleted fertilizer looks like. It looks very much like that. Small as in an um, eighth of an inch, maybe a little bigger than that around. Pretty good size. Yes, they are. They're very visible. Sometimes they're in big clusters. Uh, there was a time when we unpotted a plant to transplant it at school up into a bigger pot, and 50% of this four inch pot was f- full of a, a whole bunch of slug eggs. <laughs> So sometimes they're in a big collection and sometimes they're uh, just individual. What I was seeing was individual dispersed throughout the soil. Uh, may have been that I disturbed the, the mess and spread them myself. Um, but they, they're wet. They're white, uh, white and sort of translucent and they're wet because their whole life of a slug depends on moisture. What did you do with the eggs? I just left them and put slug bait out. Okay. (laughs) If 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 it were a whole collection of them, well, actually, I was I was popping them. Okay. All right. When I when I could get to them, but I know there are more than what I saw, so I planted the plant and then put. uh, I have lots of mulch, and that's a place they like to live is in mulch, between the mulch and the soil. Uh, That's another wet, protected spot. So I after I planted the plant and watered it in, always water after planting, and then came out with the slug bait and put that out.
0: What is the active ingredient that
2: you look for when shopping for a snail and slug control product? I prefer an iron phosphate type product. It will say that. There's always a list on a pesticide label that says active ingredients, and it will say iron phosphate. This one says sodium ferric EDTA. That's something different. This one says metaldehyde, and that's a different product. The metaldehyde I prefer not to use because it's poisonous to small animals like pets. Uh, they have to eat a lot of it to to be harmed, but I'd rather just avoid that. The I have never used the ferric, or I'm sorry, the sodium ferric EDTA. Sodium is not something that is good for plants. They need a tiny bit of it, but not much. And a buildup of sodium in my soil would concern me. Sodium, like in your table salt. But also the um, iron phosphate has its downside. If you use too much, it is toxic to worms. So when you apply this, you need to look at, there's a big, whole big booklet about uh, application. And
0: it's actually, when you apply these granules, you apply them very sporadically. There isn't very much you have to Sparsely, put down. Sparsely, right. Sparsely, it's like what? A, a teaspoon or a tablespoon per...
2: I think it's a tablespoon per 100 square feet. Wow. So a 10 by 10, maybe your whole vegetable garden is 10 by 10. Yeah. One tablespoon. And that's because it can be toxic to worms at a, at a higher population. Yeah, and, when you, and you read the warnings on the
0: back, too. and they, I mean, usually I say, well, you choose the one with the uh, less toxic toxic signal word the three signal words caution warning and danger and everything that is here has the the least toxic of the of the uh, signal words of caution but then you go and read the labels And uh, I'm looking at the one with uh, sodium ferric EDTA, and it says uh, caution causes moderate eye irritation, avoid contact with eyes or clothing, wash thoroughly with soap and water after handling and before eating, drinking chewing gum, using tobacco, and using the toilet. And uh, then if you pick up the product that has metaldehyde for the active ingredient... The precautions uh, and restrictions include this warning. This pesticide may be harmful to children and fatal to dogs and other domestic animals if ingested. Children and dogs may be attracted to metaldehyde products, both in the package and when applied children and domestic animals must be kept out of treated areas from the start of application until the applied product is no longer visible. And they're not kidding. If it's on the label, it's the law. It is. Labels are law. Yes. So that's why we always say
2: read and follow all label directions. Okay. Now you're looking at the iron phosphate product. I am. Says similar to what the sodium ferric one did causes moderate eye irritation, avoid contact with eyes or clothing, wash thoroughly with soap and water after handling, before eating, drinking, chewing gum, using tobacco and using the toilet, which All is right. almost
0: the exact wording. It, it is the
2: exact war- the, warning. Correct. So
0: then the uh, of the three we looked at, the iron phosphate and the, uh, and the sodium ferric EDTA would be the least toxic.
2: Correct. Right. There's one more product here that I have not used much. Have you used this one? Yeah, that
0: one, because it has two active ingredients. It has iron phosphate and it has spinosad. So basically, not only does it control slugs and snails, it will also control uh, things like uh, uh, turn it over and let's read it. Oh, roly-polies. I I like roly-polies.
2: Don't be afraid to open the big booklet label on the back of the the pesticide. Treat it gently in case you don't buy it and you want it to look nice for the next person. But the label is there to be read. Okay. Pest-controlled. Earwigs, cutworms, sow bugs, pill pillbugs, crickets, slugs, and snails. Okay. I don't use this one much because I would rather keep things in balance in the garden. But when I have little baby, either I've put seeds in the garden, direct seeded into the garden, or I have put very young, tender babies into the garden, I will put use a little bit of this around those plants because the uh, earwigs... Cutworms, sow bugs, and pill bugs, and crickets will eat young plants. And so I'm just trying to protect that plant until it can grow out of that stage where it's uh, attracted to those insects. And
0: yet, here's another product for snail and slug control. I don't, I, don't, it, I don't think it kills them. I think it just repels them. But the active ingredient are various oils, like rosemary oil.
2: Yes, and I wondered, um, see attached booklet, I wondered if you have to actually touch... Well, this says, use on fruits, vegetables, citrus, and ornamentals. Yeah, citrus is a favorite of slugs and snails. And it says, it control slugs and snails by contact or as a repellent. So apply it directly to snails and slugs. As a repellent, apply it directly to the plants when feeding is first noticed. Apply in late evening for best results. Which makes sense because it, the oil will be the strongest when you first apply it and the slugs and snails feed at night. Now I'm wondering if there are temperature restrictions on the use of this product. I would think
0: using an oil on a hot day on a plant may not be a good idea.
2: Yes, they don't mention that here, but you're absolutely right. You wouldn't want to apply this when the temperatures get above about 85 degrees. It would spot your plant. You would see uh, damage to the plant. Not much else. It's also a caution label, which is the least toxic of the three signal words. Correct and has the same, well, it says harmful if swallowed, avoid breathing the mist. May cause irritation of nose, throat, or skin. We haven't seen that before. Mm -hmm. Avoid contact with skin, eyes, clothing, wear protective eyewear, waterproof gloves. Wash thoroughly with soap and water after handling, before eating, drinking, chewing, or using tobacco. Remove and wash contaminated clothing before reuse. Keep all persons and pets out of the treated areas until spray has dried. But you can use, you, you can chew gum. <laughs> yeah. So although it, when reading the label, it sounds like it's the least toxic of the chemicals, it has more PPE, personal protective equipment, that they specify you wear. And it has um, more, can potentially cause more damage to your respiratory system than the others. So different things to consider when you're applying, when you're choosing your slug and snail control.
0: On the Garden Basics Podcast, we like to bring in Warren Roberts, the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum, to give us a plant of the week, a plant that can be seen probably nationwide, and it just might be putting on a show currently where you live. If not now, perhaps it was a few weeks ago, or perhaps a few weeks uh, from now. Warren, it, it's it's uh, kind of uh, the bulby time where the bulbs
3: are doing their thing. Uh, do you have one in mind? Well, I'm I do. I'm, I was thinking of the, the genus Narcissus, includes what we call narcissus and daffodils, and I, especially since um, part of my heritage is Welsh, my name is a Welsh name, Warren Roberts. Uh, that March first is St. David's Day. I know that's uh, in the past now, but you would uh, to indicate that you're Welsh, you would the traditional ones, you'd wear a leek on your lapel. <laughs> that's kind of or a daffodil, and uh, the daffodils bloom at this time during the time of St. David's, uh, the celebration of his feast days. Let's see. Oh, if you if you you were Welsh, you would say Cambrian di Div Gwyllui Hops, which means Wales Forever and Happy St. David's Day.
0: <laughs> okay,
3: that's good to know. And uh, In case I ever meet Tom Jones. <laughs> there you, you go, right. Another Welsh thing. And I'm particularly fond of the dwarf narcissus because you get all the show and really none of the mess. Because when the daffodils are through-blooming, You would think, oh, you just mow them down and away you go. But no, you have to let the leaves actually die in place as the bulb, uh, I guess you could say, absorbs the food and the energy from the leaves in order to bloom next year. So if, if you clip your daffodils and narcissus to the ground after they bloom, often the population will diminish because it's not getting the food that it needs. So if you have little ones with little leaves, you just you don't worry about it. And so my one of my favorites of all is one called tete-a-tete, which uh, is a dwarf daffodil. And you find it often in grocery stores and whatnot at this time of year. And you you know bring it into the house and enjoy it when the flowers fade. Then you could take it outdoors and, and plant it. If you're in a place where the ground freezes, well, you'd wait until it thawed a bit. Then you have it in the garden forever and ever. It's it's a good one. There are a number of other small uh, daffodils, are like something like baby moon, kinglet, jet fire, and so on. And then there's another species called Narcissus bulbocodium, the hoop petticoat daffodil. Which is a charming, uh, flower. It doesn't look like a typical daffodil, but it's beautiful and, and a nice bright yellow. So I'm very fond of these. Another advantage of, of the genus Narcissus is that it's poisonous. So you couldn't eat them if you were starving, but that also means that gophers and other creatures don't eat them. Sometimes they move them around. So a daffodil won't come up in a place where you hadn't expected it. And another thing is that they they don't mind garden watering. They don't mind wet conditions in spring as long as the, the soil is fairly well-drained. And in areas where there is no summer rain, they also survive. So you can plant them out. I have a, I have hundreds of them planted along our road, have actually of the more Narcissus kind, which have the smaller flowers, but very satisfactory plants. I've not heard of cases of of animals getting poisoned by them. It could be in the literature, but they defend themselves and they offer a lot of beauty. The the thing is, plant the little ones because you get all the show, a lot less work or or none at all, really.
0: I can hear through my window people yelling at me saying, is he saying that the deer won't eat them?
3: (laughs) Well, a deer will always nibble. Anything. Yes. So you can't, you can't say that they're safe from some, at least some predation. But as, as far as I know, uh, they are uh, deer resistant. So you could you could actually put them on the list for that. There is a, a town in California, I think it's called Volcano, which has a place called Daffodil Hill, where there are uh, thousands and thousands that have been planted out. They're beautiful during the spring, and then you don't have to worry about watering them. Although in a very dry, dry year, I would say while the leaves are still green, uh, a late, um, well, let's say a mid-spring watering after the flowers fade would would help, <laughs> because I've noticed that in dry years you get the flowers, but the the, the plants are not as vigorous.
0: If if people want to see some p- gorgeous pictures of Daffodil Hill, you can just do an internet search of Daffodil Hill. It's in Amador County in Volcano, and it is just a gorgeous display when it's in bloom.
3: So happy St. David's Day.
0: (laughs) I I would say it in Welsh, but I would screw it up. So (laughs) Warren Roberts is the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum. And by the way, if you want to find out more about the UC Davis Arboretum, visit them online at arboretum.ucdavis.edu. The plant of the week this week, all the wonderful members of the Narcissus family, especially that easy care plant that lasts forever, the daffodil. Thank you, Warren. You're welcome, Fred. It's a lot of fun. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode transcripts, links to any products or books or websites mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. Plus, you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. Maybe you could leave an audio question without making a phone call. You can do that at SpeakPipe. That's SpeakPipe.com. It's easy. Give it a try. And you just might hear your voice on the Garden Basics podcast if you're listening to us via apple podcasts put your question in the ratings and reviews section you can always text us the question and pictures or use your voice to leave a question at 916-292-8964 that's 916-292-8964 you can always use the good old email fred at farmerfred.com that's fred at farmerfred.com And when you leave a question, be sure to tell us where you're from. That will help us greatly to accurately answer your garden questions, because as you know, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to our social media outlets as well, where you can leave questions or make comments. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And there's a link to the FarmerFred.com website. Thanks for listening to Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, brought to you by SmartPots. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's available on many podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, and many more. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave a comment or a rating. That helps us decide which garden topics you'd like to see addressed. And again, thank you.